Hi everyone, welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises, like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi everyone, it's Eva here with Farm Commons, and we're back today to discuss legal risk management for your farm in this time of COVID-19. We know all you farmers are out there, um, and that you're making quick and significant changes to your supply channels, staff, food safety protocols, and more. And you've had many questions for us regarding legal risks. So this week we're recording a series of COVID-19 episodes to address your questions about sick leave, unemployment and discrimination, diversification and employment, and sales and contracts, and more. And today we're back for part three with our director, Rachel Armstrong, based in Minnesota, and our staff attorney, Sarah Vale, who's based in Oregon. And I'll be your host today, based in North Carolina. Today we're discussing farm diversification, uh, and by that we mean agritourism and value-added good production on the farm, and what you will want to be considering um, in response to COVID-19's impacts on sales channels. Um, so we'll be talking about shifting sales channels from maybe restaurants and farmers markets um, to on-farm sales through farm stands or collaborative uh, CSA models and more. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Rachel. Thanks for being on the line today. Good to be yeah. here. Happy to do, the, to do this episode. Thanks for gathering us, Eva. Yeah. So as farmers um, who are having their farmers markets canceled in states where there, there might be a shelter in place order um, from the governor or whose restaurants no longer are open and therefore um, those wholesale accounts have been closed momentarily, um, what, what are some important legal considerations that they, these farmers need to focus on as they shift their sales? Right. Right, so this is Rachel. Um, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, and um, number one, if you're one of those farmers out there who's looking at the loss of your current market and struggling to, to figure out how to move that product, first, you know, our heart really goes out to you and I'm really sorry that you're in this situation. I know how much planning goes into uh, figuring out what you're gonna produce and where you're gonna sell it. And then to see, uh, to see those, that loss um, and that having to, to, to turn on a dime, we know that's really hard. Hopefully the information that we can provide you today helps make that process a little bit easier as you try to figure out um, what's next. Anytime we're talking about the law, some of that news can be disappointing or burdensome, like, uh, oh my God, now I, you know, now I have to do this extra thing because I don't have enough to do already. Our apologies in advance um, that yes, that, uh, that will come up in today's conversation. But here's the thing. Our goal is to make sure that the way you're using your resources right now, the way you're diverting your efforts and, um, and exploring new opportunities, that you're building a strong foundation. 
we, you know, in the best possible scenario, you're looking at a diversification opportunity that proves to be fabulous. You know, that one year from now, you're like, wow, that was a great opportunity. I'm really glad that I, that I tried that. Um, maybe it doesn't turn out and you're not making the big bucks off it, but maybe you learned a lot or maybe you developed a relationship that works for you. So it's our hope to give you a few keys that will help make that investment worthwhile for you. When you're looking at diversification, you know, because you've lost farmer's market or restaurant sales, I think one thing that really comes to mind is, is a farm stand. Could you open a farm stand and encourage people to come to you? It can also be attractive because a lot of the, the farm stands are no contact. Um, in terms of the finger quotes, we're all talking about no contact transactions. How can we procure our goods and services without having to touch anyone or anything? Your farmstead might be able to, um, to fit that bill. I'll admit where I am in northern Minnesota, we still have a couple feet of snow on the ground. So hopefully you're somewhere else where it's nicer <laughs> and folks will swing by, maybe even ride their bikes uh, to, your, to your farm stand. If you're thinking about that, I have two cautions for you. Number one is check your zoning. Zoning codes, if you're already doing agriculture and you know that that's allowed, chances are that a farm stand is also just fine. However, there is a slim chance that it's not. So it could be a good practice to go check your zoning code. Oftentimes your zoning codes are, uh, are online. Many counties, municipalities, and, and local governments are putting zoning codes online. But it does take some time. Take some time in front of the computer. The first thing you have to do is find your farm on a zoning map so that you can figure out into which code you fall. That's usually something like, you know, A1, A for agriculture, you know, or maybe it's R2, which is a residential zone. Whatever the case may be, you got to find that um, alphanumeric code and then go look at the ordinances to see what is allowed or disallowed within that code. Right now, I'm seeing a powerful homeschool opportunity. Maybe you have kids, maybe they're sitting around. Um, think about the civic learning that they could engage in by researching zoning codes. Uh, maybe you'll only attract their attention for 10 minutes or so, but um, give it a whirl. See if you don't have a, a budding you know, uh, administrator um, <laughs> in your house who would love to learn this stuff. <laughs> Sarah, what about you? You have kids at home, you gonna try it? Oh, I do. I think I might put my eight-year-old on that test. <laughs> right. So anyways, check out the zoning code. See if it addresses farm stands specifically. That's my good news for you. If farm stands are or are not allowed specifically, they usually actually, they deploy the word farm stand. We're, we're often not so lucky when we're looking in, um, in zoning codes. We need to do a lot of interpretation. Um, but check and see what it says. If you're putting up a new building, let's say you have some time on your hands or your, one of your children is a, you know, a budding home builder and you're thinking, <laughs> I'm going to go build the farm stand of my dreams uh, and, and kick this off. Okay, that's much more likely to implicate your zoning codes and also your building codes. Of course, it depends on how extensive it is, uh, you know, what volume of sales you might be um, putting out from this thing. And certainly, if you're thinking of, it, of including any other farmer's products in that farm stand, that's when it's much more likely that um, the zoning code's gonna have something to say about it. 
if there's a door and it's a building that people enter, that's when our building codes start to um, start to come into play. An open air farm stand more likely to be allowed without restrictions. A door, a building, you know, with a roof and all that. Oof, now we gotta now we gotta start looking at building codes too. You can always call the zoning office, tell them what you're up to, tell them what you're thinking, and ask them what to do. They may not be staffed right now, so another problem. Um, back to that strategy of going online and trying to find the zoning codes there. One other place I always like to mention for uh, as a source for information on zoning codes is reference librarians. I'm not sure how many reference librarians are sitting at their desks right now, but if they are, they're a powerful resource. I like to call them the original Google. They can find information. If it's out there, a reference librarian is gonna get you good information. And maybe your code isn't online, it's only in print. So they can um, help direct you to that. Keep it in mind when our libraries open uh, back up, sometimes librarians can even scan and send documents to you. So, um, so take a look at the zoning code or get your kid to do it. Yeah, great, great activity to do at home on the farm and in the office with the family while everyone's together. And so with the shifting sales, I know just in my area, um, quite a few farms have set up farm stands, but I'm also seeing farmers bring in uh, baked goods from a local baker, prepared sauces from a local restaurant, and even uh, spring transplants from another farm that they're aggregating and selling on their farm. So it seems like this is a pretty um, common model that folks are shifting to, shifting to once they do set up a farm stand. So um, as we do at Farm Commons, I'm wondering about the legal considerations that farmers need to be aware of here. What are, what are y'all's thoughts there? Yeah, I think, I think it's a terrific opportunity right now. People can't go to the farmer's market. Let's take it to them. Uh, let's do the, the home delivery type. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of, um, of zoning implications to deciding to drive your product to someone, you know, to do delivery. Where things get complicated is, is, is like with farm stands, if you're taking other farmers' product or other entrepreneurs' products onto your property, boxing up uh, packages, you know, assembling things into orders, putting them on trucks and taking them out, ugh, it can get complicated. That coffee, you know, those loaves of bread, those packages of granola, they're not farm products. And so what you're doing is generally not considered farming. There might be a threshold, like only up to a certain dollar value or, you know, square footage devoted to this where you're still allowed to do it. But generally, when you cross a certain threshold, what you're doing is considered distribution. You're a distributor, which is what you're trying to do. You're trying to distribute. So once that becomes commercial scale distribution, it may not be allowed in, an in, a, in a zone that is restricted to agriculture or a zone that's defined as residential. So you gotta take a look at when you might be exceeding your ability to do um, distribution um, on your farm. If you're taking in products like, uh, you know, milk, cheese, um, uh, time temperature sensitive products, then we also have concerns with um, health and safety regulations. Uh, what you're starting to look like there is a grocery store, you know, a grocery store that, that assembles 
um, you know, meat and dairy products and then um, makes them available to consumers. That comes with regulation. We know that grocery stores are inspected. They, you know, folks need to be making sure that those facilities are safe and clean and, and the coolers are cold enough. So at some point we have to start looking at what permits and licenses are, are, are gonna be required to do that. Now that isn't to say that all of your dreams are dead and you know you, you, you can't possibly do this. Uh, you, can, you can put it together um, and see if there's a viable market for what you want. Um, but then you gotta know in the back of your head, all right, if this is something we wanna build on, if this is something that, um, that is gonna work over the long term for the farm, you have to come around to the licensing and permitting obligations eventually. And definitely before you make a significant investment in that financially or relationship wise, um, you're not gonna want it to fall apart, uh, you know, in three months time, um, once the neighbors are irritated. It also might be a good time to call your insurance agent assuming they're in the office and working. Right, right. Find yeah. out if there's a special type of insurance you need to cover the new activity of distributing food instead of just growing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your farm insurance policy uh, probably covers you, should, one would think, cover you from the risks that you were taking on at the time when you bought the insurance policy. You know, you, you probably called up your insurance agent and said, hey, you know, I, um, I grow vegetables for farmer's market. Can I have a policy? And you got one. But now that you're doing something else, you need to call the insurance agent back and say, hey, look, new venture going on. Um, I am doing home delivery uh, of my, uh, my vegetable selections, and I'm uh, also doing some coffee and some, some baked goods from my neighbors. Uh, what do you got for me? Um, they will more than likely need to adjust your policy to continue to cover those different risks because there are different risks involved with, um, you know, assembling orders um, and distributing those. That doesn't mean it's going to be wildly expensive. It might be very affordable, especially because distribution is super common. Um, insurance companies are insuring that kind of stuff all the time. So don't worry about it. Don't let it stop you from developing your venture. Just bear in mind that you got you to place that call at some point. Yeah. There's power in knowing and you got to call to find out. Yes. So I have a, like, a farmer question about distribution through farm stands. And so in my county, Farmers are allowed to collaborate with up to three other farms for a farm stand, and that is good and right by my county zoning code. But there's one farm stand I'm thinking of in particular where there are um, packaged products from a restaurant and loaves of bread from a bakery, and I'm wondering, would that count as one of or two out of four farm businesses, since they're not actually farms, but they are being sold, their products are being sold through the farm stand? Great question. In that kind of a situation, the definition section is your friend. You might read in the zoning code up to the products of up to three different farm businesses. You might think you know what a farm business is, <laughs> but in that situation, you may not. And you got to go to the definitions and, and see like, well, okay, how are they defining farm business? 
it might not be in a separate definition section. It could be like a few paragraphs down in the code or something like that. But uh, it, when you're reading ordinances and statutes, it's always good practice to assume you know nothing about definitions um, and everything they're telling you, um, you know, is, is cut from whole cloth. It's, to use an apt example right now, we know that many states are, are enduring these, these lockdown procedures where only essential businesses are open. What is an essential business? You know, it's really interesting actually to compare how different states are defining essential businesses. Uh, and always bear that in mind when you're when you're researching anything legal. The definitions really make the law a lot of times, uh, and that's where you got to go to get um, to get at the meat of what you're trying to figure out. Yeah, that's great advice to essentially wash your mind of um, assumptions of how things are defined and look to see how things are actually defined in in the zoning code and the building code. Um, yeah, great advice. Yeah. Another thing I want to sneak in there, let's say folks are thinking about diverting to a CSA strategy. You know, okay, I'm going to set this up as a, you know, a, a regular package of, of, of goods um, that I'm going to deliver over the course of the summer. The time could be right if you've been thinking about CSA uh, to go down that path. We have another zoning concern. Doing CSA box distribution can be seen as commercial activity. And this actually has happened around the country. Um, neighbors, neighbors who don't like a good time or local food, I suspect, have been calling in their neighbors to the zoning authorities saying, you got to shut down the CSA distribution. The porch is overflowing with boxes. You know, the, the happy people coming up to, go, to collect their broccoli, they're really getting on my nerves. Make it stop. Um, this happens. <laughs> it, sure does so, happen. it happened in, in my very town. Really? Fact. Yeah, we had a, uh, we took over as the drop um, point host for our CSA program because um, down the road in another neighborhood, the neighbors didn't like the drop site so much and did, in fact, call the local authorities and shut that down. Yeah, it happens. It's still surprising to me. Like, some people don't like food or fun, um, but <laughs> and just <laughs> but the one. code. Yeah, yeah, the code is what it is. Um, and in its greatest manifestation, the code is the essence of of, of self-governance. You know, the code is a community in theory coming together to say what they wanna see happen in their community. Um, let's play the long game. Right now you're sitting at home, you're thinking about your future, um, you know, you're wondering what's gonna happen. Maybe you wanna pencil in running for the zoning authority, uh, running for the zoning board. These are elected offices, they're your neighbors. Um, now could be the time to plant the seeds of much deeper change um, in your community. But all that aside, if you want a CSA drop site tomorrow, I recommend checking the code just to make sure that you're not gonna be surprised halfway through the summer um, by some angry neighbor. Uh, see what you can do. Um, and you might, you might be more efficient if you ask your potential drop sites. Ask those homeowners to research their zoning code. They may have already done that. I mean, I'm a legal nerd, so yeah, I check my zoning code when I bought my house. And you just might find some in your network too. Sarah, when you bought your house, did you research the zoning code? You know, I wasn't that thorough, I have to admit, <laughs> but <laughs> I have since learned that we could put an entire condo complex in our backyard if we wanted to, so. <laughs> nice. Wow. Or not nice. Yeah. 
it's a good thing that you have that backyard because you're not going to do that. <laughs> but more power to people who will. <laughs> We're happy with backyard chickens at the moment. Yes. Awesome. Chicken condos. <laughs> Chicken condos. Coops can get really nice. Yep. Cool. Go all out. They really can. Mm-hmm. So not only are farmers shifting their sales channels and getting really creative, um, I've also been seeing more virtual events pop up. Um, and so folks who are steeped in agritourism as part of your farm ventures, um, our hearts go out to you as those gatherings get canceled, weddings get postponed. Um, we know that's that can be a very important source of revenue for the farm business. Um, but in thinking about agritourism, um, what are some options that folks, folks can pursue and what should they be wary of? Right. Yeah, agritourism is oftentimes quite regulated by zoning codes, so, so do check that out. But right now, you don't want to hear me say, read your zoning code again. You want to hear me say, go ahead, you're going to be fine. Well, you know, what you can do, which you're pretty much going to be fine with, is those online events. Um, and, you know, much like the rest of you all, I'm seeing yoga events online, I'm seeing classes, I think there is some potential here in the short term to turn around a class on your farm. Um, you know, maybe it's canning or jam making. Maybe you've got something in the freezer and you could, you know, teach people how to turn that into something. The best roast beef ever. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe your kids want to uh, try their hand at teaching other kids about farm stuff, um, how to take care of a sheep or things like that. You know, the revenue generation may be a, li a bit limited um, at this point. Is you can think about that as market development, um, as an audience that you can begin to collect and attract, um, that you can um, use it as advertising for a home delivery service that you might be doing. Um, maybe you're banking the, that the farmer's markets will open up in a couple of months and it's a market that you can um, attract to your farm stand. If it's something fun that you would enjoy, uh, and other people will too, uh, you can. It's it's something that you can try um, and start to get some traction on um, right now. And who knows? Maybe in the future you can charge for online or in-person canon classes uh, after things get back to normal. Yeah, the time is right for experimentation, especially with um, virtual platforms and like. Rachel said, great way to market uh, what you're up to and, and test the waters to see what the interest is like before um, markets open back up and you you plan for the enterprise to continue on into the season. Um, and I personally would like to see some cool farming, cooking, and baking uh, videos. That would be awesome. And there's an audience for it right now. There's a captive audience that's really interested in self-reliance and learning how to do these things themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Much more attention to um, to our own individual and community resilience. And farmers have a lot to teach about that, a lot to share. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And one of the markers for that demand is I have tried to order seeds from three companies now that are back ordered because so many people are ordering seeds right now. So demand is high. 
Well, thanks, Rachel and Sarah, for, for sharing about diversification. Um, and I hope that all you farmers out there who are listening, that this has provided good value for you as you plan your farm stands, your, your collective distribution of products and CSA conversions, and maybe even an online course on cooking um, your favorite farm products. Um, coming up for our next episode, we will be going in-depth on um, farm sales distribution platforms online, and also uh, CSAs, focusing on CSA agreements. And we'll, we'll be discussing all that and more with um, Sarah, our staff attorney. So thanks everyone and keep well and stay safe out there. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening, and keep on growing.